Welcome, foolish mortals, to All Hallows Always. Where one night of Halloween just isn't enough. We are your hosts. I'm Jason. And I'm Emily. And we are here to guide you through the creepy times of the year, even though it's not the creepiest time of the year at this moment. We have 292 days until Halloween. Yay, only 292. (laughs) The countdown continues. Yeah. This is the second podcast of 2016, and we've come up with a rotating schedule for what is going to be in the next year. Every month we're going to have three segments, one per week for three of the weeks, and then the the other week is going to be a wild card. On the second week of every month, we're going to do a director spotlight, where we will talk about a different horror director or thriller director or sci-fi movie director. The third week of every month will be a monster spotlight. We'll talk about a different genre of monster. The fourth week of the month will be a author spotlight where we will talk about different horror authors. Mm -hmm. So, that being said, this week we are starting off with one of our favorite directors. We're going to be talking about Guillermo del Toro. Who is a Mexican director who has done several American films as well as several Spanish language films. You're probably familiar with some of his more famous works, but you may not be familiar with some of the more offbeat stuff that we're going to talk about. Yeah. We're just going to go kind of through his his filmography and what he's known for and why we like him. Let's start off by mentioning that Del Toro is not quote unquote a horror movie director. Not a not many of his movies really what you could call horror. They're thrillers. They're supernatural thrillers, mm-hmm. but none of them are really horror per se. Well, sure. They definitely have a lot of horror elements um, yeah. to the to the movies that he has both directed and produced. There's a lot of strong horror elements. There's a, a lot of strong sci-fi in what he's directed yeah, and definitely. in what he's produced. Yeah, and a lot of supernatural aspects as well. So, which is kind of you know personally one of my favorites. Um, I love supernatural horror. Yeah, so. of course. So Del Toro was born on October 9th, which is only three days after my birthday, but he was born 22 years before me. Yes. He was born on October 9th, and he was born in Mexico. In Guadalajara, actually. And all this information is coming right off the IMDb page for him, so if you want to know a lot about his life, go check that out. But he apparently had a fascination for movie making most of his life, Mm -hmm. which is pretty cool to see that he actually became what he dreamt of being. Uh, He made some movies in Mexico and got some pretty high accolades for him. These are movies that I've not yet seen. The first one they got a lot of praise for was called Donna Herlinda and Her Son. He got a bunch of Academy Mexican Academy Awards mm-hmm. for that movie, and I'd like to see it, because it sounds like it'd be good. Yeah. And that one was from 1985. So Which, a lot of a lot of the stuff that is more familiar in, I guess, in, at least in this country, is past 2000. So th- there's yeah. a big gap there for what, I guess, for what's familiar in his filmmaking. Yeah, um, he's most famous today. Probably, I would say for Pan's Labyrinth. Pan's I'd Labyrinth say that was his, yeah. yeah. I'd say that those were his big breakout hits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and they're both fantastic movies. They are. I love Pan's Labyrinth. Yes. That's the first one of the Del Toro movies that I've ever seen. Yes. And I didn't know what to expect going into it. I thought it was going to be a scary movie, but I wasn't expecting that. Yeah. I wasn't expecting what we got. And he is such a good storyteller. Yes, absolutely. He uses all of the perfect elements of storytelling, building characters. He 
we were talking about that as we were watching one of the movies recently, that he is so good at putting together these dynamic, deep characters. Mm -hmm. And you can't help but feel for them all throughout the film, even the bad guys. It's true. They're all very sympathetic characters. And he does that really, really well in Pan's Labyrinth with mm -hmm. the little girl. You, you see her struggling with, quote-unquote, becoming a woman. Mm-hmm. And that whole movie is very coming of age. It is, um, with, of course, it's got the, the backdrop of, or the, I guess the setting of, of being in the middle of the war. The Spanish Civil War. Yeah. yeah. So there's a lot of conflict that comes from that. But then it's also got this element of fantasy that kind of sets the tone for the entire film. And... I think that's really what makes it such a dynamic film. Yeah, and it's just beautiful. And it, it doesn't matter if you watch it as this is literally what's happening or if it's if you watch it as a metaphor mm -hmm. for what's going on in this girl's head. But either way, it's just beautiful. Yeah, The cinematography is. is gorgeous. The lighting is beautiful. The sound design is fantastic. Mm -hmm. Everything that, that he does in that movie just strikes a high note. Mm -hmm. And as I said, that was the first one that I'd seen. That's not the first one that he did that was on that topic. And the one that we watched recently, the one that we yes. just got our hands on, The Devil's Backbone, was his first foray into American movie making. Yes. In 2001. The Devil's Backbone is also set during the Spanish Civil War, and apparently he considers it to be a sibling piece to Pan's Labyrinth, mm -hmm. where Devil's Backbone is the masculine, is, is the brother, and Pan's Labyrinth is the, the sister, the feminine mm -hmm. piece. The, a lot of the themes are the same in the mm -hmm. two movies. Yeah. And the two main characters really parallel each other. Yeah. Going off and finding this hidden world that reveals more about the real world than they think. Yeah. And it's it's just very dynamic. I, mm -hmm. I very much enjoy it. There's the Hellboy movies. One and two were both directed by Del Toro. And three has been announced. And I believe, as far as I know, he is also directing that one. I, I think so. It only makes sense. Yeah. He gave up a lot of opportunities to do the Hellboy movies. Yes. He was offered the chance to direct Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. And he dropped out of that to do Hellboy. Yeah. Or he didn't drop out. He turned it down. Can you imagine a Harry Potter movie directed by del toro i i can and that would be awesome it would be intense it would be intense and i feel like the prisoner of azkaban would be the one that i would be most uncomfortable <laughs> with him <laughs> directing and my my reasoning for that is because his movies end up being intense anyway right and that was the one harry potter movie where everything kind of shifted toward the dark and well, that was the first one that wasn't directed by Chris Columbus. Yeah. So. It shifted anyway. It would have been such a drastic It would have shift. been a dramatic, drama <laughs> a much more dramatic change. Yes. I mean, it was jarring anyway. Yes. But with him in the helm, it would have been, it would I have been even darker. Yeah. It would have, the, he would have played up the insanity mm -hmm. a bit more of Bellatrix and of Sirius. Yeah. He would have played that up more and made it, he would have expanded it. It would have been nuts. Yeah. But I feel like the Hellboy movies were, were such a great set of movies. The first one, I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm going to need to own this movie. <laughs> uh-huh. It's, you know, it's comic book kind of style, but it's also got its elements of horror with the occult and everything else, these themes that go along with the movie in the first one. And that's something that I think is really, really cool because, I mean, who doesn't love the sort of occult backdrop? Who doesn't yeah. love the occult? I mean, come on. <laughs> 
there, there's a lot of people actually yeah, that, that don't love the occult. That's true. And Hellboy is a great property for him to take hold of. Hellboy was originally a, a comic book in the, the Dark Horse mm-hmm. comics. It wasn't Marvel. It wasn't DC. And Dark Horse has always done a bit more of the avant-garde mm-hmm. kind of comics, and they're a little bit more off the the superhero path. Mm-hmm. A lot of their heroes are more anti-heroes. And Hellboy is definitely that. Oh yeah, he's he's essentially a, a demon, more or less. But but he's saving the earth. Gosh saved, darn it! Yeah, he saves the world. Yay! <laughs> uh, um, but I, f- I feel like it's such a a great film, and I feel like the actor Ron Perlman who plays Hellboy was an excellent pick. And as far as I was, understand, that was Guillermo del Toro's personal and the creator of Hellboy. Okay, the guy that created the character also wanted Ron Perlman. That's fantastic. And they got him, which was beautiful because he did an outstanding job. It would not have been the same movie without him. I like the first one better than the second one. Me too. The first one is much more Lovecraftian. Yes. And, dear listeners, I want you to know, I am a huge H.P. Lovecraft fanatic. (laughs) This will come up all the time. You will hear of this again. Mostly because Lovecraft has had an extremely huge impact on horror culture. It's true. And on the progression of what we know as horror now. And he's had a profound impact on Guillermo del Toro. Mm -hmm. Definitely apparent in in the first Hellboy movie. Yes. You see the the thing at the very beginning when they open the portal and you can see out into the other dimension. Mm -hmm. It's these giant, multi-eyed, tentacle beasts watching our plane of existence. The, the, The gods of chaos mentioned in the film are essentially... The, they're the old ones. They're the old ones, yeah. So <laughs> the, the elder gods. Now the second one has a very different tone. The second one is it does. is more fantasy based. Um, elves and elves goblins, and goblins and, and you know, yeah, fairy tale giants kind of and orcs and that stuff. Kind of but it's uh, but it's the dark side of the fairy tale stuff. So it's you know I thought it was also a really good movie. I still like the first one better. The first Hellboy. Yeah. Now, the, uh, the the other one that he's done recently, excluding Crimson Peak, because we've not seen that yet. Right. We need to see it. I've heard that it's really I've, good. I've heard good things, but yes. It's about ghosts and creepy stuff, but they apparently use a lot of practical effects and stuff for the ghosts, and awesome. it looks really good, but we need to see that. But not that one. I'm talking about the one that has nothing to do with anything else that he's ever done. <laughs> Pacific Rim. Yes. I showed that to you earlier last year, mm-hmm. and what were your thoughts on Pacific Rim? I really enjoyed it. I thought it was really cool. It was different, definitely different than the rest of the stuff that he's done, and it was not quite what I expected. I mean, I went into it not knowing a whole lot about the movie at all. Yeah. But I really enjoyed it, and I I felt like it was a really interesting story, very compelling, really dynamic characters, and really cool Monster creation. Yeah, definitely. I thought that the monster creation was top notch. I really, I thought it was, I don't know how else to describe it. Like, it was cool. <laughs> yeah, <the laughs> like, it kaiju. kind of blew my mind. I was like, this is awesome. The kaiju kick all the ass. Yes. They yes. are fantastic. Did you watch the Godzilla movies of yesteryear? Yeah. Gamora. Yeah, Gamora. Yeah. Being before Godzilla. And then Godzilla and Rodan and Mothra. Yes. Mecha Godzilla and Space Godzilla, and that's where he drew his inspiration, mm-hmm. obviously. Yes. Duh. I feel like that was definitely obvious, but not, it wasn't like watching a Godzilla remake. 
Yeah, we went and saw the Godzilla remake, and uh-huh. Pacific Rim was a better Godzilla than Godzilla. Very true. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> I really, really thought that it was there again. It's yes, a good I, okay. I would go so far as to say if you are a fan of Godzilla movies, specifically the old ones, not so much like Matthew Broderick running around. We don't acknowledge the existence <laughs> of that one. Um, but the the old destroyer of worlds movies, like yes. Gamera and Godzilla and Mothra and that kind of the old genre. man in a suit Godzilla. Yeah. If you enjoy that, then Pacific Rim is everything you have ever wanted out of those movies. You know? Everything you have ever wanted out of a modern... Out of, adap- uh, yes, exactly. A modern adaptation of those Out films. of a modern film of that style. It is what you crave. If you don't like the new Godzilla movies, any of them, you will like Pacific Rim. <laughs> that I promise you. It's just so good. It it's is. Good it's storytelling, very, and it's, it's good, good characters. And there again, you got Ron Perlman, who is hilarious. Always. I like how he's got the same actors in a bunch of the movies, because mm-hmm. Ron Perlman's also in Blade 2. And he uses Doug Jones a lot. Yeah, he does. And Doug Jones is a brilliant character creator. I wouldn't even so, call him an actor. I call him a character creator because yeah. he doesn't act. He becomes yeah. Yeah. Period. No, absolutely. <laughs> he doesn't act, he becomes. He that becomes is the end of something my sentence. New. And here's our connection to last week. We talked about him in the Windigo, but he's in Pan's Labyrinth. He's mm-hmm. in Hellboy 1 and 2. He's in I think he did some work in Mama. Oh, yeah, he was Mama in Mama. Did, was he? He Let was me, Mama I'm, and Mama. Have a look. Yeah. Because I am positive. I'm pretty sure that he did. No. No, that was Javier Botet. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. He had the same kind of hand gestures that... Wow. I was positive that was Doug Jones. Interesting. Well, Doug Jones is not Mama, but Del Toro did not direct Mama. He was one of the executive producers. Mm -hmm. And he had a lot of creative input. Yes. Which you can tell in, you know, the tone of the film and Mm. the way that the characters relate to the supernatural being. I want to watch that movie again. Yeah. Can we watch that soon? Absolutely. I like that that movie a lot. I like that it came from a short. Yes. And that if you watch the short and then watch the film, there's... I mean, it's it's like you're watching a continuation of the short. I made you watch the short first, didn't I? Yes, you did. And then when that scene came up in the film... In the movie. I was like, this is incredible. This is the same... I mean, this is basically shot for shot the same scene, Mm -hmm. but it's such a different... I understand it differently now. Right. Which was really cool. It had the same tone. Yeah, it had the same tone, and it was the same, literally shot for shot, just yeah. about the exact same. Yeah. But it had such a different, I mean, it, it. I knew more about it and I understood it more. Yeah. And that's essentially what Del Toro did mm-hmm. is he saw this short online. And created and a story around it. He called up the, the director of the short film and was like, hey, I want to make a full movie out of this. Nice. But I want you to direct it. Nice. So the guy that directed the movie, Andreas Muschietti, or Andy Muschietti, directed the movie, but he was also the creator of the short film. Okay. Del Toro didn't want to take it away from him, so he just produced it and let him do it. That's cool. So definitely you can tell that that he had a lot of creative input. 
Mm-hmm. But I, I, it still, I, and there was a lot of, uh, it didn't get great reviews. It didn't get great critical reviews. I don't know why. I thought it was really compelling. I did too. But then again, I'm not a professional movie critic, even though we should be. I was going to say, what does it take to become a professional movie critic? Because I want that job. <laughs> Money? Oh. Money that we don't have. Yeah, we definitely don't have that. The other film that I wanted to discuss was also produced but not directed by Del Toro, and that is The Orphanage. Yeah. Which is one that I I ran across, and I honestly thought it was directed by Del Toro. Right. And have for years, but I ran across this film, picked up a copy of it, took it home, watched it. I got to the end and hit play again. I watched it twice in a (laughs) row because it was so creepy and harrowing and compelling and interesting. Yeah, definitely. And it's, it it was, I mean, it's terrifying on a different level. Yeah. And that's one that you introduced me to. Mm -hmm. I hadn't seen the orphanage and... What were your thoughts on the orphanage? It was, I, it was... Upon first viewing, it was kind of confusing. But then watching it again, I kind of had some background for it, and I I was able to see where it was going a little bit better. I really... it's the, the, the Del Toro tone mm-hmm. and the the compelling characters and the flowing backstory and plot line that really brings it together in the end. I thought it was... Yeah. I, I enjoy it. It's a very good movie. I, I thought it was fantastic. And that is that's one of those movies that I can watch anytime. Anytime you want to watch The Orphanage, I'm like, yes, let's watch that. <laughs> yeah. And I'm not sure if they ever released that one with... Um, English dubbing or not? I don't know, but I hope not. I hope not because the characters and the speech, the the delivery and the noises that mm-hmm. are made yeah. by the characters are absolutely spot on. Right. It's like if you watch an anime with with you know, American English dubbing, it's just not the same. <laughs> I know that there's a mixed camp when it comes to dubs versus subs. Yeah. And there always has been and there always will be. I personally enjoy subtitles. Yes. I don't find it distracting to read the words as the movie, as the the pictures are going. I don't find that to be distracting. I can actually incorporate it into what's going on. Yeah. Typically. Well, it's But funny. I can understand how it could be. Well, I yes, I could understand how it could be, and it's funny though because I'm I'm a slow reader. I do not read quickly. I like to focus on and absorb every word. Yeah. But when I'm watching a movie with subtitles, I don't even notice that I'm reading. It just kind of flows well enough that yeah. I feel like, and even yeah. now when I'm thinking back to movies that have subtitles. I remember characters saying their lines in English even when they're not speaking English. Okay. I don't know why, but I just... All right. Like, I hear the delivery, but I I, hear it in English. (laughs) I feel that the emotions conveyed by the original language are more poignant than if it were dubbed over in English. Yeah. And there are some cases of good dubbing. Any of the Studio Ghibli movies, Howl's Moving Castle, Spirited Away, Ponyo, any of those movies... I've not seen any of those. We need to fix that because (laughs) those are all great. Nausicaa, any of those movies. My Neighbor Totoro, you've seen that one. No. What? I have not. Oh my gosh, what am I doing as a husband? (laughs) How did I ever marry you? Oh, it's because I like steak. (laughs) That's true. But those movies were produced by Studio Ghibli in Japan, and then when they came over to America, they were distributed by Disney. So so Disney was able to get, like, top-name voice actors to do the, the dubbing, and a lot of it turned out 
pretty great. Not as good as the Japanese, in my opinion, mm-hmm. but better than, say, if Funimation had had hold of it. Mm-hmm. God forbid. Yeah, I feel like we're getting off topic. We are, but a lot of a lot of <laughs> <laughs> we are a little bit. A lot of Del Toro's movies are in Spanish. Yes, because that's his native language, and it's really beautiful that he still makes big budget American movies in his native language. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah. So the orphanage was in Spanish. The orphanage, Pan's Labyrinth, Pan's Labyrinth Devil's Backbone. Devil's Backbone. Um, um, I'm not sure if Crimson Peak is or not. I don't know because I, I haven't seen it. I haven't seen it yet, but we will. We'll see it, and we'll we'll get back to you on that because I think that it. I, I, I'm excited about it. Now, there's one movie that should have been made a decade ago, mm-hmm. but never got greenlit. We're going to go back to my love of Lovecraft for a moment. <laughs> Guillermo del Toro has had a dream of making a movie out of At the Mountains of Madness. In the story, it's a scientific expedition to Antarctica, and while they're down there, this snowstorm hits, they find the carcasses of this giant alien species, and then everything goes haywire. It winds up with these two guys walking through an ancient megalithic city built by aliens eons ago, and it shows the progression, and and it's this fantastic, fantastic story, and if anyone were ever to make a movie out of it, it should be Guillermo del Toro. Yes. Because he's able to pull together the characters the way they're supposed to be. He's able to pull together the story the way it's meant to be told. It's, he, he he alone would be able to get that, that gut feeling that the characters are supposed to have as they're going through these ordeals. It would be beautiful. The creature design would be perfect. The Just everything would be perfect. That film has been in production hell for years and years and years and years because no one thought that it would be profitable. Mm-hmm. Now, here in the past 10 years, there's been an explosion of Lovecraft everywhere. Everyone knows who Cthulhu is now. Yeah. Everyone's got a basic understanding that Lovecraft was a writer, a sci-fi writer in the early in the early century. But still no one's willing to make this movie, and I don't know why. It bugs me. Well, we know what Del Toro has specifically said about the making of At the Mountains of Madness. And that is that it has similarities, too many plot similarities to Prometheus. Ridley Scott's movie Prometheus, as an indirect prequel to Alien, was an okay film. Mm-hmm. It had some big old plot holes. It, it did. And it had some real stupid stuff. It did. It was not a bad let me, film. Let me, let me give you a piece of advice. If there's something falling toward you and you're running, <laughs> run perpendicular to it uh-huh. and get out of its path. Yeah. No one ever told the characters in that movie how to do that. Yeah. Like three times it happens. Yeah. Ugh. Ridiculous. It's not a bad film. It's I No, have... it's not bad. But I hate upon... that that film is the reason that At the Mountains of Madness will not be made by Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. I dislike that. If I had to pick At the Mountains of Madness, you know, produced or directed, preferably both, by del Toro or Prometheus. I've seen Prometheus. I would rather have The Mountains of Madness, whether or not I've seen it or not, because, you know, I haven't, but I'd pick that it one. It would be superior. It would be superior. It's undeniable that the similarities are there. It's true. Looking back on it, it's basically the same story. This ice land, mm-hmm. they find a dead alien, they visit the 
the structures created by this alien. They get attacked by said alien. Mm-hmm. And then they get run off by the monsters that that alien had created. Yeah. It's the same story. It's just really crappy that that's why he can't make his movie now. <laughs> yeah. All I'm saying is, Del Toro, just do it. I don't care if it's the same. Yeah. I don't I, care. Yes. Because it won't be because it will be Lovecraft. And it will be Del Toro. And it will be beautiful. <laughs> so do it. Yes, do it. I know Guillermo del Toro listens to our podcast. Do it. <laughs> Ugh, ridiculous. Ridiculous. I'm excited to see some of the movies that he's going to be putting out in the next few years. He's a producer for Rings, which is going to be a sequel to The Ring. Okay. I don't know how that's going to work, but I guess we'll see. That's coming out later so, this year. So, okay, so, because there was The Ring 2. I've not seen The Ring 2. But it's that same franchise, and it's a sequel to the first film? As far as I know. Interesting. Because, okay. I, yeah. I would, I would see that. Yeah. I'm, I'm not sure how it's going to play out, but yeah. apparently he's a producer for that. Okay, I'd watch it. <laughs> yeah, he's got some other projects coming out soon. A uh, sequel to Pacific Rim. Nice. Yeah. Gonna be good. Very nice. He's apparently an executive producer for Kung Fu Panda. The, the like the franchise Kung Fu Panda. Interesting. Um, I know he was a creative consultant on Megamind, which I love. <laughs> yeah, that's a great <laughs> I love that movie. movie. That movie should not be as good as it is. Right? I really don't... Should not be that great. I really strongly dislike... What's his name? Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. I strongly dislike him. Will Ferrell? A lot of people do. I don't know why. People, you know, we really can't afford to do this because people are going to stop listening to our podcast because I dislike him so strongly. All three of you, guys. (laughs) Darn it. But I really did love Megamind. That was a really brilliant film. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah. Anyway, I'm excited to see what he's got coming out. Uh, there's also a, uh, another sequel to Hellboy that mm-hmm. has been announced. So we'll see what you got coming, Del Toro. We will definitely go see all your movies. And we need to see Crimson Peak, and we'll get back to you, the listeners, about what we think about that one. Yeah. Next week, we have our first Monster Spotlight of the Year, and this month, we are going to be talking about my personal favorite, werewolves. Werewolves! And we've, uh, we've got a full moon around next week, too. Yep, it's late next week. Awesome. So, if you listen to the podcast sometime, like, after Wednesday, you can listen to the werewolf podcast while the werewolves are running around. So, That's true. Until then, you can check us out on Facebook. Follow us at All Hallows Always. Feel free to ask us questions or offer suggestions. And you can email us those things at allhallowsalways at gmail.com. Give us a look on the Blogspot website. You can follow us personally at allhallowsalways.blogspot.com and get together with Irrelevant But Awesome on irrelevantbutawesome.blogspot.com. Also, check out the Twitter. Uh, I know I haven't updated it in a while, and I'm sorry about that, but I will... Be more vigilant about Twitter. I'm I'm really bad about Twitter. <laughs> I, I I do really well for like three weeks, and then I just kind of taper off. Uh-huh. I'll get better, though, I promise. At all hello always. And make sure to check out our sister podcast, Classy Ring Attire. Uh, it's all about wrestling, and it's also an irrelevant but awesome production. They just did their Classy Awards for 2015. Oh, fun. Yeah, so that was a good episode. Cool. And if you haven't found us on iTunes yet, you can search the iTunes uh, podcast store for us at All Hallows Always. And while you're there, please give us a rating of five stars and give us a review. Helps us out with our podcast metrics. Until next week, good night. 
and happy Halloween! All Hallows Always, an irrelevant but awesome production.